Hello everyone and welcome to Life Beats with Sarisha on Radio Caravan, 104.1 FM and 700 AM. If you're tuning in from Dallas, it's raining outside and most of us got, me and my guest got caught in the thunderstorm. So we are a little wet and drippy today in the studio. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Dr. Sarisha Kuchimanchi. I'm an entrepreneur, a podcast host, and a former tech executive. I host the podcast, Women, Career, and Life. It's a top 30-person Spotify podcast where I share stories and advice to achieve your career and life goals. To give you an example, the episode that dropped yesterday with Deepa was uh, the story of her being an immigrant in the U.S. and really how she's uh, managed to learn and uh, grow her career from an engineer to a senior vice president. I also have a business, uh, Sahita, which is a global platform for South Asian women to achieve career and financial empowerment. So if you're wondering what to do with your first paycheck, how to start investing, or how to even have that conversation with your boss on, you know, what do I do to get a promotion? Am I doing the things? Or what are the next steps? You can join Sahita. It's sahita.circle.so. Look it up online, S-A-H-I-T-A dot circle, C-I-R-C-L-E dot S-O. And I hope to see you online. And uh, thank you for tuning in today. I am excited about today's conversation. It is on endangered languages and what we do to keep the ecosystem alive. I have Professor Sadaf Munshi. Sadaf and I met at the US-India Chamber of Commerce event to at a few months ago. And what got us connected is she is the former chair and professor of linguistics at the University of North Texas. Not only is she an academic, she's also a poet and an artist. And we are going to explore her history with languages, but also delve into some personal aspects as well. So that's thank you for being here today. Thank you, Sarisha, for having me here. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, this is exciting because I had never actually um, thought so much about endangered languages. So why don't you walk us through your own journey? I know you're originally from Kashmir and now you're teaching in the U.S. So how did you get into linguistics and kind of what's been your path here? Well, uh, many years ago, uh, when I started my career as a playwright, I met um, another writer who was also a Kashmiri speaker, and we were talking about um, dictionary of the Kashmiri language. And at that time, um, it was um, some of the artists had left Kashmir, and um, it was uh, people were not able to read in Kashmiri language. So I was given the task of transliterating from one script into another script. There are very few people who can who know both Devanagari and Persian Arabic, so I was one of them. So it, it was an opportunity for me to navigate between these two scripts and know different people and know about languages. So that's where I got interested in the, in the languages. And then I heard about um, the field of linguistics. Um, they had uh, started a new uh, diploma program at the University of Kashmir. I was still an undergraduate student. Mm -hmm. And I heard about it from one of my uncles who was also uh, a public relations officer at the university. So he told me about it. And so it got into my brain already. Although I, I had started uh, writing plays for Dudashin. Oh, wow. Okay. You had TV time then. Awesome. Yes. I was, um, uh, for, a, for a brief uh, few years, I, um, I wrote plays for Dudashin uh, Srinagar, Kashmir. Um, and then uh, because of the political situation in Kashmir, I, I couldn't stay there. I couldn't pursue my education there. So I, I started exploring 
uh, new um, area. So I went to, to Delhi University and where I um, applied for um, uh, a master's degree in linguistics. And that's where my uh, introduction to linguistics started. I was, I was very uh, interested in different languages. Yeah, and then, so any place that anyone might have seen on Durdarshan, in case any of the listeners here might remember? Uh, I, I, I doubt, because they were for local uh, Kashmir, Jammu uh, okay. Kashmir state television. So uh, unfortunately, not, probably not, but maybe we can dig back. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Yes, for sure. So, and I then I think you came here to study, right, from in Austin, in the yes. linguistics department? Yeah, so I did my uh, master's and MPhil degrees in Delhi University, which is where I um, kind of got my uh, training in historical linguistics and uh, got to know about different uh, languages and language families. My supervisor was one of the leading historical linguists, um, Dr. Prem Singh. Um, and um, so uh, they uh, encouraged my professors, encouraged me to go to the United States to pursue a doctoral degree here. In the, um, uh, so I applied for um, a doctoral degree at a couple of universities. Um, one of them was uh, UT Austin, uh, which is where I did my PhD eventually. And it's there that I got um, exposed to other fields of linguistics. And I got to know about this emerging field of linguistics, which is called documentary linguistics now, uh, or land language documentation. And we, got, we had a very strong program there at UT Austin in language documentation. and. That's where I got introduced to this newly emerging and fascinating field of different languages, knowing about various languages that need documentation. And what sort of languages need documentation? So um, there are uh, roughly about 6,000 or 7,000 lang estimated languages, depending on whether uh, people call them languages or dialects. Um, different figures have been given by different experts, uh, ranging between 3,000 and 7,000. And uh, a lot of fam uh, languages are um, highly endangered, which means that um, people are no longer uh, speaking, continuing to speak their language, or younger generations are not learning their their heritage languages anymore, due to a variety of reasons. It can be political, economic, educational, and otherwise, and migration also. So many languages are dominated by other stronger languages, which have more power, political power, prestige, cultural prestige, educational, and other kinds of values. Um, so uh, in relation to those languages, these minority languages do not have that much scope um, uh, in getting you somewhere uh, economically or politically. So many of these languages have been um, suffering at the, at the hands of stronger dominant languages. In many cases, languages are losing speakers abruptly. In some cases, it's happening slowly, depending on uh, what is the situation of a particular mm -hmm. language. So there are languages that have very few speakers, a handful. There are languages which have the last speakers now, and there are languages which have like 25 speakers, few dozen speakers, a few hundred, a few thousand, and so on. But there are also languages that have millions of speakers, but they're also suffering. It's just a matter of a few generations that uh, the languages could die if we don't do anything about them. Yeah, I guess thinking about our own personal experiences as immigrants to another country, my kids do not speak my mother tongue. I mean, one of them learned it, but over time it's kind of swept away. So I can totally see like two generations from them, just as that process shrinks that you can easily lose it. Of course, the language is quite large because I speak Telugu at home. 
there's a huge population, but there's so many other languages which might be smaller population size that can eventually disappear. So what is the prediction? Like how many languages do they expect there to be like say a decade from now or a century from now? So um, uh, some linguists have estimated that one language is dying per uh, two weeks, uh, which is kind of an exaggeration maybe. Now uh, some, some, some experts are uh, doubting that. I mean, they're, they're questioning that estimation. But um, it's hard to tell, but maybe uh, one of the estimates is like by uh, within the next uh, like 20 years or so, half the languages will be gone. But if we do something about it, then probably that, that may not happen. Uh, there are languages which have a lot of resources, um, written resources, and there are languages that do not have a lot of resources. So depending on uh, how um, the situation in, in a, with respect to a particular language is, whether or not it has written materials uh, or other kind of materials, documentation materials, whether it's audio, video, and other kinds of texts. So there are languages which are only orally preserved, they're only spoken, and they don't have any written materials. Now, so those languages are suffering more. So a lot of linguists are, um, documentary linguists, are, um, are, um, have been um, uh, working on documentation, digitization, um, and uh, preservation of languages, but also working with native speakers of some of these languages. Yeah, and my focus mainly has been to now recently to, to train native speakers in, in documenting and preserving their own language and also revitalizing them. So I know that um, obviously that's a rapid shrinkage what you're talking about to lose. I mean, when you lose a language, you don't just lose the language, right? You lose the culture, you lose the ecosystem, you lose the heritage. You, you, lose, you lose a lot of knowledge associated with it. You lose kind of your identity, which is something very very personal to you so yeah it's like a it's like a whole world you're losing a whole world yeah you've just kind of wiped wiped it slowly off the map and think about it a lot of uh, languages are oral tradition they don't have a written script so that's how they went which is why you're trying to probably that intersects what you're doing as written thing as well so if you lose the language then it's not just i can read a textbook and learn from it that that thing is completely swept out into the ocean and you'll not likely see it again so when you say you're documenting it and you're um, deciding it, what kind of triggers which languages? Because I think when we were talking, you do on Burushaski, Kashmiri, and Mankiali, but how do you decide which languages? And I think from yours is largely in what South Central Asia, Central Asia, right. that's where you're focusing on. Right. What other ways you decide it's become endangered enough? How do you get access to these languages, to these people, and what do you do? Right, um, yeah, access is very important. So in my case, um, my first, um, uh, when I uh, got to know about documentary linguistics and language documentation, uh, it was like a chance discovery. I discovered um, this Burshaski language in my own uh, hometown, Srinagar. Uh, I didn't know this language was spoken there. There were only about 350 people uh, who had migrated prior to the partition of India and Pakistan. Uh, so in uh, around 1890, um, their ancestors, uh, who were also from a royal family, um, King uh, Raja Azur Khan was one of their forefathers. He was the king of the uh, Gilgit Agency. Um, so Raja Azur Khan, his family, very close family, and some, some maybe attendants and all, uh, around around 20 people in total were arrested by um, combined British and Dogra forces 
that back then in 1890 or 91. And they were brought to Srinagar and they were put under arrest in, in this fort, for, which is called Hari Parbat Fort. It's known as Hari Parbat Fort. So they were put there and then uh, eventually they, after some time, they were given a, like a piece of land or whatever, compensation, and they settled there. Um, then the partition happened and they lost contact with their parent community. And um, so many people didn't know about them um, until recently. Like um, uh, they were also seen as Tibetans probably by locals. They, they, they call them Bhutraj. Uh, what is a term for used for Bhotia, which is Tibetan. Um, so many people didn't know their origin or anything. So I actually, um, by chance, um, uh, met a speaker of this language in Iran. I was visiting my husband in 2002. I was just married in 2002. And I, I was visiting my husband and I, I saw one of his friends. He was also from Srinagar. And I, I just asked him, which language do you speak? And he didn't know the name of his language and he said i don't know i don't think so i don't think it's a language it's it's a boli it's like a dialect or something i said no every every whatever you speak it's a language so i got very curious and i started um uh, asking questions and i then uh, did my own investigation i called my dad and told him gave him a word list and asked him to to get their words for a particular word list and started digging what is the origin of the language that he speaks and that's how I discovered that. Then I got curious and I wanted to work on it and what happened to this language because of being away from their parent community, how did it change? And then I applied for a National Science Foundation grant to work on the language and I was, um, my reviewer suggested I should document it. I, I wasn't planning to document in the beginning. I was planning to look at how the language had changed. So that's how I got interested in documentation work. And um, the second language that I started working on after many years is Mankiali. And Mankiali um, is completely undocumented. There was absolutely no literature on it. And uh, it, although Burushaski was there, I mean, there was a lot of work on Burushaski, not documentation work, but quite a bit of work on other dialects. But Mankiali was completely out of the map. It wasn't even in the list of the world's languages. So we had to do some paperwork to get it in the list. Um, in 2017, it got added to the list of the world languages. Uh, it was because of uh, some people in Pakistan, they contacted me because I was working in, um, I had done a lot of field work. I extended my work in Pakistan after some years of working in India because I knew the, the parent community was in Pakistan. So I started going there. Then I, in the in the middle of my work, I, I thought I, I can't document every single language. Even one language is, out of my hands, like uh, documenting one single language, it's a lifetime uh, project. So I thought mm, it's, it's, it's not helpful. So I started thinking about training people. So I started training workshops in Pakistan. And then I did some training workshops in, on the other side in India also. So I've been doing training workshops as part of, while I'm doing documenting these languages, I've also been tra uh, providing training hands-on training to native speakers of many different languages that are endangered and uh, have very reduced number of speakers and do not have any materials. We're training them in documentation. That's the only way to kind of um, expand the scope of it. It's yes. not one woman's job to keep yeah. it all together and yes, yes. tie it together and it's hard. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it's interesting the story you said, right? The gentleman you met when you went to Iran didn't mm -hmm. think he had a language or didn't know what, that it was a language or that he spoke it. And 
you have it, you're an investigative detective <laughs> like a csi uh, on on languages that's that's exactly what you are you that's know, you what have, you do yeah. yeah you have to find you it have to go, decode yeah get forensic evidence figure out what it is look at yeah. the clues and and then do it and i think for anyone who's listening by the way the phone lines are open if you want to talk to sadaf uh, the number is 2148173333 the number again is 2148173333 we you are listening to life beats with sarisha on radio caravan i am interviewing dr sadaf munshi she is a professor in linguistics at the university of north texas who works on endangered languages largely from southeast asia and central asia and she's looking at those languages that are disappearing and the statistic that she just said which is kind of intimidating is probably in the next 2 3 decades we could lose 25 to 50% of the languages in the next 50 years probably 50 years that if, we could if we don't do much if we don't do much so it's it's whatever we can all do um i might i haven't passed on my own language to my kids it's been a bit splotchy experience but those of us who speak uh, languages that are not as you call it languages are defined by political business you know lot of other cases that kind of give it clout in a way it's yeah. not just a language of choice and also the culture that is and the ecosystem that is around it now since most of the listeners on this radio channel are largely from the south asian community most of our languages in many years ago many centuries ago did not have a written word they were all very often you could have languages that were oral tradition so you can lose them much more quickly if they were not a written word part of what sadaf is doing which which is really cool right you are taking documentation you are training people to take a look at it and uh, figure it out if you're listening this is dr sarisha kuchimanchi i host the podcast women career and life and have the global platform for south asian women sahita you can join sahita by going to sahita.circle.so and sadaf we were talking about languages you are also a poet you also started to learn this in tour i think you picked up a musical instrument and an artist why don't you delve into that and are you bringing parts of that back into what you do yes i've um, um more recently i've um, i've started doing uh, incorporating my interest into into my research and so i've been exploring the um, more and more of uh, the endangered poetic traditions and musical traditions of south and central asia i've been working with musicians poets um uh theater people like we uh, in kashmir we have this outdoor theater called bandpathe so i've been exploring uh it's a dying uh, tradition street theater um and a lot of it um in, involves um uh folk music um folk poetry folk songs um and different types of musical instruments that are uh um that are indigenous and they're also old musical instruments that that have been uh kind of dying so i'm i've been working with multiple people documentary filmmakers actors uh people in theater musicians from different countries working on multiple different languages we did a project uh, recently during covid when covid hit in 2020 march i had invited an artist from kashmir a vocalist kesad mm-hmm. nizami and we were going to do um a musical performance at unt he was going, he's a vocalist um trained in classical indian as well as kashmiri sufiana music uh, music music uh but unfortunately as soon as he arrived he the, everything got locked down and we got locked down and um 
then two and a half months he stayed with us at my house and <laughs> so we did a lot of things during that time and uh, we collaborated with other musicians an iranian musician one of my friends also he's teaching who was teaching me santur then um so we ended up uh, doing a multilingual working on a multilingual collaboration it's called voices and bridges um there's so an you have album then? there's an album yeah I, I i was the linguistic and academic advisor on that um so yeah it's it's in multiple different languages um including kashmiri urdu uh persian french english and many many languages so so again a plug what is the name of the album and where can people find it the, the album is called the voices and bridges uh, the composer is asan maturi he's an iranian musician and a santurist he's my santur teacher also mm. um so we collaborated on this project during that time and yeah, yeah. it's it's is there that's actually oh i i'm going to try and look it up because the thing is i i'm the way i'm thinking as a lay person is the easier way you keep a language alive is through art right yes. plays and music if i'm listening because when during covid i went to like listen to music across the world i was listening to music from israel listening to sufi music listening to this this is a um, musician from uk musician originally she's sri lankan origin who sings kavalis her name is abhi sampa so it's like watching all this oh, fusion yes, she's beautiful and i know oh have you heard her she's yeah, amazing, amazing. Yes. if if you haven't heard her you should google abhi sampa oh, no, i have i love her I, yeah and for those amazing. who are listening on the radio you yes. should you should check her out i mean she's so good and leave the video as i just her voice and the whole yes system just the orchestra yeah. with her is like fantastic to listen so we have about 3 minutes on the show if you have any questions for sadaf you can call 2148173333 this is live beats with sarisha on thursdays at 2 next week i will be traveling so there's no show but the week after we will be talking with pratiba afali about productivity and time so sadaf as we're getting to closer to finishing up we met at this conference and we i think the conversation that got us started talking was about shuttling our kids back and forth for school so <laughs> i know you're you work and you're teaching and you have young kids so how is that how is that balancing act going on well it's much better than it used to be they're growing now uh, my, my daughter is 12 and uh, my son is going to be 18 soon so they are uh, but it's been a it's been a handful i when i did my first field trip to pakistan i was 6 months pregnant Mm-hmm. and um most of my uh a sub part of my travel was by road in 20 it was one of the one of the trips was 26 hour drive through a very treacherous road and i didn't tell people here <laughs> i didn't tell my husband what was going on because my flight was canceled and a lot was happening so yeah it's been very challenging but uh, my uh, my my husband is also a do- he's a doctor so he's uh, his he has a very difficult schedule as well but he's very helpful he was away for some years so uh it wasn't a, a cakewalk <laughs> but but yeah it's it, it's happening we we're doing all these things alongside uh personal challenges and managing yeah it's it's tough but yeah. it's getting better it does i know and those of you who may be listening who might be parents you know uncle aunt or have an ecosystem with young or growing children there are different stages in life all i can say is enjoy it 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 might feel overwhelming at that point but you look back and say oh you know i either had a wonderful experience or i should have spent more time my son is getting ready to go off to college and one is a sophomore in high school so i i can kind of look back and 
I can't imagine them as being incredibly small anymore. But <laughs> you know, when I meet parents of young children and they're thinking, and sometimes you feel like you're drowning because there's just so much when, when they're young. Yes. But it's 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 a fun age, and uh, really enjoy it and have fun. So I wanted to conclude with what would you want us to remember? What should we be doing for these languages that we might all be speaking at home or hear about? I think um, I think. Uh, speaking those languages would be the best thing to do. But I, uh, to make it more fun, I, I really believe that performing arts, um, whether it's play, theater, anything, singing, it's, it's fun and uh, making it fun for the kids also. So as part of that, I did a, I did a, some satirical ballads and a lot. Yeah. So I think performing arts will be very, very helpful in, in doing that and speaking the language. Okay. Yeah. So tune into music. If you haven't heard Abhi Sampa, which we both plug. And thank you for tuning in for Life Beats with Sarisha and let your heart beat to the rhythm of success. <laughs>